The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Excellent. Great to see you all here. How you like the new venue? Fantastic. Well, this morning I want to speak on the theme that Jesus is a king like no other. A king like no other. We live in a society uh, where there's a lot of disillusionment with leaders. Uh, As Australians, we're getting ready for our federal election. We've just had our state election. And often what I hear people say is we're really left with a choice of two bad alternatives. Um, And there's not really a, a clear leader to follow as a nation and we live in you know I think a global leadership crisis I mean we have people like Donald Trump who lead the the free world and I know many of you have very strong views on Donald Trump and then we've got people like Kim Jong-un who also is a very interesting political leader and so there's this sense of disillusionment with leaders Uh, we wonder if there's any leader we can really trust that will deliver on promises Uh, we wonder if there are any people of intelligence anymore, of character, of vision, of passion, who are about something meaningful, who are about something other than themselves. And into that mix, we throw in Jesus. In the Bible, one of the titles given to Jesus is King. And uh, you would have heard that theme come up over and over again in all the readings we've had so far. John particularly seems to really focus his um, narrative of the passion around that theme of the kingship of Jesus. And so this morning I want to suggest to you before we come around our time of communion, just three aspects of the kingship of Jesus that make him stand out to be a king like no other. You can turn it down. And I hope that in that process I will encourage you, stir your heart to consider trusting Jesus if you haven't already. To consider devoting your life to this king. To consider serving him and honoring him with your life. To consider dedicating your life, surrendering your life, submitting your life to this king. Three things that come out in all of our readings. The first principle or the first aspect of Jesus' kingship is this idea that Jesus is a king not of this world. And these three aspects come out of statements that Jesus himself makes. And and this comes out in this discussion uh, with Pilate in verse 35 of chapter 18. Pilate says, am I a Jew? Your own people and chief priests have handed you over to me. What is it you have done? You see, the reason Jesus was even before Pilate was because for Rome, if Jesus was the king of the Jews, that was a major, major issue. It was a political threat. And that was the charge that they were bringing against Jesus. And that is the threat that Pilate is investigating. Is he really a king? And Jesus responds, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. But the Jewish leaders, by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. So you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. You see, Jesus is not like any other king because he's not of this world. His kingdom is outside of time and history and space. He, he, the Bible says he has entered into our world. 
He's a king like no other. Jesus says, if I, if I was a king like everybody else, then I would have servants. I would have an army. I'd have a military power and, and they would defend me. They would fight for me. But Jesus stands there before Pilate alone with no military backing. And when asked, he says, well, why are you here then? And Jesus says, it is to bring truth. Jesus offers us not military power and conquest, but truth. And in John chapter 14, verse 6, just a few chapters earlier, Jesus made this profound statement. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that statement is not popular in our culture. We, we live in a pluralistic world that wants to argue that all roads lead to Rome, as it were. That it doesn't matter what you believe or what God you trust in. As long as you're sincere and genuine, that's okay because there's salvation in every God, in any God. And Jesus' claim runs against that. You see, the problem with our culture's logic is that to even make that claim that all roads lead to God, that as long as you're sincere and, and, and committed to any faith, you'll be saved, is the assumption that they know that to be true. How do they know that to be true? It's like a whole bunch of people standing at the foot of a mountain that has all these pathways that head up the mountain. And each one of those people are convinced that their pathway will get them to the top when they've never been there. See, the thing is, the only way to know which path leads to the top is for someone from the top to come down and tell you, this is the only path that will take you to the top. And that one is this king, because he has come down from above. He has come down, as it were, from the mountain. Anish, can you put that slide, please? To show us the way and the way that he shows us is himself. He says, there is no other way. There is no other path. There is no other God. There is no other truth. It's just me. And he leaves us with the same question and he asks Pilate, will you receive this truth? Are you on the side of truth? Because Jesus says that everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Will we listen to him? Will we accept this king's right this king who's come from outside, this king whose, whose kingdom is not of this world, to tell us the truth, that there is only one way to God. There is only one way to be saved, and it is through him. The second thing that this king, Jesus, tells us that makes him different is that he's a king that gives up his power. That makes him radically different to any other king. He's a king that is willing to give up his authority and his power and his majesty. And we see in this second conversation with Pilate, when Pilate is told that he is the son of God, Pilate freaks out as you would if you were standing judging the son of God. Verse 7 of chapter 19, the Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. As though somehow knowing that would help him figure out if Jesus was really the son of God or not. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, trying to flex his muscles. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of greater sin. 
See, Jesus is a king like no other because most kings use their power to save themselves. Jesus gives up his power to save others, to save us. Think about this. Jesus is standing in front of Pilate as the most powerful person in the whole universe. He's standing there as the very son of God. He's standing there as the king of all kings, the creator of the universe. He's standing there and he's able to annihilate every single person in that room with just a click of his fingers, more powerful than Thanos with all his infinity stones. Just saying. In Matthew 26, in Matthew's account, uh, Jesus makes this interesting statement when they come to arrest him and some of the disciples want to pull out swords and kind of take it to the, to the, the, the guys who came to arrest him. Jesus says, hang on, come on, don't you know who I am? I've got these legions of angels that are at my disposal and I can just wipe everybody out. But it's not meant to be that way. And so Jesus is standing in front of a human, the most powerful being in the universe, and he gives up that power to Pilate, to the Jews, to the soldiers, And he allows himself to be spat on, to be insulted, to be ridiculed, to be mocked, to be beaten, to be whipped, and ultimately to be crucified. The Bible says that Jesus is the creator of the whole universe and that he sustains it by the power of his word. That's how powerful he is. And he gives all of that up and puts himself under the power of Pilate in that moment. What's even more staggering is that Jesus goes to say that the people that were standing around him, therefore the one who handed me over to you is guilty of greater sin. That the people that he's given power to are the people that are deserving of his judgment. They're sinners. Now again, that's not a popular word in our culture. We, we want a Jesus that, that accepts us as we are, that doesn't call us out on our sin, that doesn't say you can't do that. Because that brings death to you and to others. We want a Jesus like that who just pat us on the back and and affirm everything we're doing. But that is not the Jesus of the Bible. He calls sin. And he says that there are sinners here. And you're one of them, Pilate. And the people, the the religious leaders who've handed me over to you, their their sin is greater. And again, we, we have the judge of the universe In John's gospel, particularly John tells us that the Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son. And the judge is standing there with every right to judge everyone in that room. Three times in this narrative, we're told that even Pilate says, I have no charge to bring against him. The completely innocent, righteous one stands there in front of a guilty sinner who deserves his judgment and allows him to judge him. Gives him the power to judge him. I remember talking about this at um, a high school one time. And one of the young people in the question time, he says, look, I'm really confused. He said, look, help me understand this. So are you saying to me that, let's say like a Lego world. He says, so you're saying that God's created this world like a Lego world. And, you know, he's made it beautiful and perfect and everything is right. And he puts these Lego people in there to look after his world and to live in this world, to treat each other well and to live under the authority of the Lego creator. And he says, but then imagine if all these Lego people came to life and started messing up this Lego world and started kicking things over and, and pulling each other's arms off and you know, doing all this crazy Lego stuff and just destroying the world. He said, in my mind, if I was the Lego creator, I would just go, 
pull them apart. I just pull their Lego heads off and pull their Lego arms off and pull their Lego legs off and go, now see how good you can be. But he said, what I don't get is that the creator who is infinitely greater than a Lego human would become a Lego human and step into our Lego world and die for our Lego world. He said, that does not make sense to me. That's why Jesus is different to every other king because he hands over his power and he says, you judge me and you condemn me and he puts himself under his own sentence of death. You see, because the Bible says that God created the world and he created us to live under his kingship, but we rebelled, we rejected him, we committed treason. And we put, we removed God off the throne and we put ourselves on the throne and we made ourselves the king. And the Bible says that the penalty for that treason is death. And so this king who ought to bring death and and judgment and wrath upon every human being who's committed treason, which is all of us, instead puts himself under his own death sentence. He absorbs in himself his own wrath, his own judgment so that he can extend to us mercy. So this king, Jesus, he's like no other because he offers us truth and he offers us mercy instead of judgment. He says, in me, you, you can have forgiveness. If you trust in what I've endured, if, you've tr- if you trust what I've done on the cross for you, if you trust that in my beating and my suffering and my death, I have absorbed and taken on myself all of the penalty for your treason, for your rebellion, for your sin. If you will trust that what I did on the cross was enough, then you can have forgiveness and you can have mercy. He's a king like no other. The last thing comes out of a statement in the last reading we just had. Verse 30 says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. See, when, when people die, sometimes good can come out of that. We, we've probably read and heard many stories of people sacrificing their life for others and for seeing them have a different life because somebody sacrificed it. But Jesus is a king like no other because he triumphs through death. He triumphs through death. Because see, in the olden days, when armies went to war, the kings often, well, usually led their battles. And in the olden days, when the king died, the battle was over. And usually the, the, the side where the king died lost the battle and the opposing side declared victory. And when we read these words, it's easy to kind of go, it's finished. Jesus is capitulating. He's lost. He, he, he's, he's given up. In Matthew's gospel, he says, it's not, it is finished. It says, with a loud cry, Jesus gave up his spirit. I want to suggest to you that Jesus is different because he triumphs in his death. It's not a, a cry of defeat. It's not a cry of failure, but a cry of triumph. You see, because when Jesus died, so many things happened. It was a cosmic event that changed everything forever. 
That was the plan all along for God to send his son to be our substitute, to bear on himself the death penalty for our injustice, for our sin, for our violence, for our crimes, for our treason. And because of that, to extend pardon and forgiveness and mercy, to make us right with God again. But not only that, that death triumphed over sin, over Satan. Uh, look at some of the other Bible verses. In Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2, we're told this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Now can you see that his death was a triumph? It wasn't a failure. Or Colossians chapter 2. When you were dead in your sins and, uncircum and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When King Jesus died, he won. When King Jesus died, he defeated the enemy. When King Jesus died, he set us free. When King Jesus died, he disarmed principalities and powers. When King Jesus died, he canceled the debt of sin for all who trust in him. But there's more. There's more. When King Jesus died, death itself died. Death itself died because Jesus didn't stay dead. Because Jesus is the immortal one. Jesus is the undying one. Jesus is the one that cannot stay dead. And even though Good Friday, you know, we're meant to kind of reflect on the death, you cannot reflect on the death without thinking about the resurrection. Because Jesus is alive. And through that, he has conquered death. Look at what 1 Corinthians 15 says. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead came also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of to over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Is death. This is how Wesley Hill put it very succinctly. Jesus' death broke death's power forever because it was the death of the deathless one. The death of the deathless one. This king triumphs through his death. That is the good news of Easter. And that is what we remember. And that is what we reflect on. And that is what we celebrate when we come around communion. And we're going to do that in a minute. And communion, these, these symbols represent the broken body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus that was shed. And as we take and as we hold on to them, I encourage you to take a moment to reflect on King Jesus. And if you're here and you're yet to trust Jesus, I encourage you, don't leave here without talking to someone. Don't leave here without talking to me. Don't leave here without talking to one of our volunteers about how you can trust this King Jesus who came to bring you truth, who came to offer you mercy, and who came to give you life through his death. You see, because Jesus, when he died, because he is the resurrection and the life, can give us life forever. 
No other king can do that. And as you partake of these emblems, if you're a Christian today, remember and rejoice in your king. And if you're on that journey still and you're exploring Jesus, I encourage you to keep exploring, ask questions, talk to us, because we would love to tell you about what this King Jesus has done and what he can do for you to save you and to bring you to himself through his death and resurrection. We're going to have communion together in the way we're going to do that. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.